My guest today is a brilliant guitarist, songwriter, producer, uh, former member of It Bites and current member of the band Frost. He has his own project out called Lonely Robot, which is releasing its second album called The Big Dream on April 28th. I'm pleased to welcome John Mitchell. Hey, mate. How are you? Good. How are you, man? Nice to meet you. You too. Ten minutes late. That's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I have to apologize. I probably passed you on the... Uh, cruise to the edge a, a dozen times and I wanted to stop and say hi and there's never a moment you know on that ship it's impossible to uh always get a second to say hi to somebody yeah it's 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 uh well it was an ex- you know it was certainly an experience I mean I, I I love boats which is a good start and, uh, and that's a big old boat isn't it 200 meters but you know it's like you say there's so many people chatting to so many other people it's it's and there's never seems like a good time yeah. No. <laughs> so, uh, well, let me ask you, did you enjoy the cruise and, and was it your first one or had you done that before? No, it's my first one. And yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's um, it's uh, it was I was a bit of a shock to the system, I guess. You know, it's it's like, you know, I mean, of course, in, in the little pond that we inhabit of progressive rock, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's everyone's very, very enthusiastic. Uh, and I, I, you know, I wasn't prepared for the. Uh, you know, it's very flattering. It's it's kind of strange walking through a, a duty free shop, hearing your own music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, and I, I wasn't ready for you know for the amount of um, you know enthusiasm. I'm quite a quiet person, so it came as a bit of a shock, you know, to uh, to to to. Uh, I'm a bit shy, to be honest with you. So it was kind of it was kind of uh, yeah, it was a shock to the system, but an enjoyable one nonetheless. Yeah, it's great. You know, it was the first time I got to see Frost live. Obviously, living in the states, it's not something that I mean. I don't know if it's ever happened, uh, to my knowledge. But um, you know, one thing that was surprising to a lot of people that hadn't seen you guys play before was sort of the the fun and the comedy and the the sort of goofing around that you guys do, which was awesome. And it was unlike any anybody else in the ship. Is that sort of how you guys always are together, just having a, a, a just a crazy time? Well, I mean. At the end of the day, everybody in Frost is 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 in one shape or way or form of other, you know, a professional musician. And um, I think you know Frost is is a bit of a busman's holiday for us, and not something that we take dreadfully seriously. That's not to say we don't take the music dreadfully, because you know, Jem Godfrey is a virtuoso, as is Craig, as is you know, I'm like the weak linker. I'm I'm the last turkey in the shop when it comes to the thing. You know, <laughs> hardly, but, hardly. Um, it's yeah. kind of it's. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just it's we just got a very uh, self-effacing sense of humour, which which is I uh, kind of I, uh, I don't know. Uh, at the risk of sounding like a cliche is is it's kind of like you know we're like the, the, the um, I guess we're like uh, you know Monty Python meets yeah. seven eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pr- pretty pretty spot on, I think. Uh, so uh, you got the Lonely Robot, which is your. Uh, almost like a solo project, but but it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> solo project. D- despite contrary to the uh, contrary to, uh, to the to the efforts of of, of uh, everybody in Germany trying to position it as something else. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's there's, there's no hiding behind the fact that it's my baby, and uh, that's right. Sounds megalomaniac, megalomaniacal, but that's how it is. <laughs> hey, you know, it's uh, very humble of you to not call it the John Mitchell project. So you're 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 off to a good start right there. Bands that, that that have the name of the person in it, you know. Thomas said, "You know, you can't call it the uh, the John Mitchell band." I'm like, "You would, I would, I would pay you good money to not call it the John Mitchell band." <laughs> hey, well, you got Joni Mitchell, and secondly, that, you know, to me, it's like, you know, I'm 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 pretty um, 
what's the word? I'm pretty cynical as it is, but I think naming a band after yourself is is, is the height of narcissism. I'm probably wrong about that, but certainly <laughs> I, I have no interest in attaching my name well, to anything with my music. It works for some, works not for others, I suppose. But uh, the new album called The Big Dream comes out April 28th. Uh, you know, tell us about it. Um, what, well, explain for those who don't know the, the Lonely Robot concept, because the first album was a concept album, and this is sort of the sequel, right? Um, they, they, it's not a concept album. and it, it sounds like it should be a concept album, but it's not. It's just musically, I suppose, thematically, they sound like, you know, the songs run together in such a, in such a degree that it would sound like a concept album. But that, that's musically intentional. There is, there is no... There is no um, there's no, you know, there's no story, you know, uh, you know, man eats banana, man discovers bananas <laughs> and superpowers. There's none of that going on, put it that way. There, there's a common theme, there's a narrative, but there is, you know, in my mind, it was simply a case of uh, making an album. I was, you know, I was doing it bites at the time. And then John Beck, the keyboard player that I write within it bites, uh, got the call to go off on tour with fish. So I was kind of left twiddling my thumbs going, well, what should I do now? And then um uh thomas Varber said well why don't you do something on your own i'm like well that's a good idea why don't i do that you know because initially you know his, his encouragement was was the reason that we ever put the kino thing together because he had kind of belief in me as as a writer or whatever and you know i'm grateful for the, for his um encouragement and this was another one of those occasions where he said well you know you don't need to do that why don't you do this instead and i'm like well okay i did and I just thought, well, what kind of music do I want to make and i didn't even actually think about it that long or that hard i just love film soundtracks and I love rock guitar and sort of metal. So that's kind of what it is. That's the basic premise of Lonely Robot. And, you know, everyone goes, are you the robot? No, it's Lonely Robot's just a cool title that kind of encapsulate how I feel about people, you know? Well, it has the, yeah, I think a lot of people, I've read different things about it online and, and the sort of the, the astronaut being the theme throughout the videos and the covers and the, and the new album, I think gave a lot of people that impression that it maybe was about something. Well, it is about something, but it's not about what people think. You know, it's you know, it's not like I always thought for me that the title "Lonely Robot" encapsulated the fact that here we are. It's 2017, and people have incredible difficulty um, communicating with each other. I, you know, when I say communicating, I mean communicating. I, I actually know people that, that that I actually personally know people that can't answer the phone. They're so scared of the confrontation of having a phone call. <laughs> These are the people that wouldn't be able to sit here talking to you, your good self. So it's kind of odd to me that you know, yeah. uh, and I, I kind of makes me think you know, for all the social media in the on the planet, you know, we're about as far away from actually being having a, a solid, meaningful relationship with one another as is humanly possible right now you know you get on the underground in london and you can actually stare down from one end of a, a train carriage to the other and everybody is buried you know literally buried in their little smartphones and it's depressing <laughs> and uh, you know and i'm just as bad as everybody else and i'm a giant hypocrite but at least you know i'm aware of it and no, <laughs> it's, it's i don't know this is a kind of cult of celebrity where you people you know inventing crappy video blogs about God knows what. What's inside my handbag? It's like you know, just just for the sake of seventy thousand viewers, and I'm just like God. What this is nothing creative to me. This is this is the height of mediocrity, and I hate it. So, yeah. Lonely Robot is 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 kind of a, a very, I quite fitting title in that you know we all fall into this category of doing the same thing day in day out, checking on Facebook, doing this, and and, and nobody feels particularly closer to each other because of it. You know. 
Yeah, no, totally. I agree. I mean, you know, uh, I sound like the most miserable person ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Listen, uh, being uh, being a parent, you know, it's something you you, you people have to deal with and, and uh, worry about all the time. It's it's a, it's it's all over the place. You can't get away from it. So. Well, you can't, you know, and you know what I suggest you do is, is go and grab that Kindle Fire for kids and jump up and down on it quickly before it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, musically, when you uh, sit down to write something like this album, I mean, where's the, the starting off point for you? And then how long does it take to, you know, to write it from beginning to end or, or feel like you have a, good, a song that's finished along the way? Well, here's the way it works. Yeah, I, I have a real simple rule. Um, when I get up in the morning... I always, I, I don't, the only way I can write music is if I write to a title. I know what the title of the song is going to be um, before I even start picking up a guitar or a keyboard or any of that nonsense. I have to have a clear idea what the song is going to be and roughly what the song is going to be about. Now, that's for a very good reason. I mean, it just gives a sense of focus before you've even started. And if you know what it's going to be about and if you've got a title, it's like making a little cloud and everything suddenly falls from the cloud, like lyrics are like little drops of rain. I know this sounds like a hippie thing to say, but that's just how I feel about it, you know. And mm -hmm. I, it's to me, I make no apology. There's a lot of bands that come in my studio, and it'll come to doing lyrics and the vocals, and there's still people sitting there writing lyrics. I'm like, well, isn't that like the most important thing that you should be thinking about? Why you've taken so long? Why, why is this song not got a finished title? Why has it got a working title? And I guess that's just the remit of being in a band. Everybody's collaborating and nobody really knows. I guess for me, the process of making music is so much easier if it's just you on your own and you know what it's about and you're, you're driving the driving the ship or piloting the ship. And if you write to a title, it's like a little coat hook that you can hang everything else off and it just makes the whole process so much simpler. And my rule is get up in the morning, come up with an idea, come up with a title, write a song and the basis of it needs to be done by nightfall. You know, and then obviously there's going to be overdubs and like fairy dust and all the rest of it later. But, you know, the structure, the lead vocal, the basic arrangement, everything needs to be recorded by the time the sun goes down. And if it takes longer than that, I'm just not interested. <laughs> uh, you know, you had uh, Craig Blundell, who's a, a fantastic drummer, uh, also plays with Stephen Wilson. And was that obvious that you took him to to this album? Well, it's like this, uh, and this is, I, I'm, I am joking about this, but I, <laughs> um, you know, he, he uh, Stephen Wilson and I are very good friends, and uh, I kind of, I was kind of instrumental in getting him the job with Stephen Wilson, so kind of, it's like a mafia thing, yeah? He had to play drums for me, or else, you know, he's going to get whacked. <laughs> I am kidding. No, he just, you know, we've known each other for about seven years now, we've become very good friends, and we've got a, a, a very kind of in-tune sense of humour with each other, and... To me, it's kind of his his drumming is is absolutely instrumental to um, to this. I'd call it a project, but it's not really a project. It's you know, it's what it is. And 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 I just think that um, I don't know. He kind of brings an energy. He kind of puts yeah. a fire on the music. You know, which yeah, I could get somebody else to play drums, but to be honest with you, he's about the best there is. You know, there's a lot of great drummers out there, but you know, his, his understanding of polyrhythms and this, that. I don't want to get too techers about it, but he just, he's like having Keith Moon setting a light to your hotel room or something. You know, that's what he, that's what he brings to it. It's a lot of energy, which is much needed. So <laughs> I'm, it's, you know, it's as simple as I asked him and he said, yes. And I said, Oh, you know, uh, what do you want to doing? And he said a pizza. So there you go. <laughs> hey, that's perfect. You said when you're writing for, for this, 
you like to sort of you come with a title you're writing in your own own space by yourself and that's easy for you but when you're working with you know like Jem and, and frost he's initiating most of the music so how was that different for you to sort of enter that space and and let him steer it well you know Jem and i've got very similar ideas about you know we like a lot of same music and we like you know we both love john barry and we both love um you know the police and we both love all sorts of very very similar things we're very like-minded you know he's like the brother i never had you know so it's kind of when we get together you know what he brings to the table he you know he's a he's a pop producer and he's written a, an awful lot of he's got a very very strong sense of melody you know and an interesting you know there's a lot of people out there who think that writing a melody is like some horrible pentatonic minor third fifth kind of thing which is not very interesting at all and he kind of understands the idea of the melodic twist on the vocal you know uh, we got a lot of the same ideas like if you listen to john barry as much as i listen to john barry and other film score composers you know mm. the twist is like you know in a normal rock record you'd go from like e minor to c and john barry always went john barry always kind of puts a twist on it like goes from e major to c so it's kind of it's very interesting and unusual to the human ear or to the ear that is kind of isn't kind of tuned into that kind of thing it's an interesting twist and that kind of appears a lot on, on a lot of my favorite albums like you know seal for example you know he kind of has that I think maybe it's Trevor Horn who brought that to the table, but certainly a lot of those kind of, you know, unusual things that really kind of make yeah. the ear stand up on it. Oh, that's kind of unusual. There's too much rock music out there where it's really bog standard, just kind of minor melodic scales and this, that and the other. You know, at the end of the day, I grew up listening to like the police and stuff. So if a vocal line doesn't start with a second or a seventh interval, I'm just not interested. And Jem's the same. The only thing I think that, you know, we are very different about is he's fastidious with detail and I'm kind of, I'm impatient. I'm like a kid in a sweet shop running around trying to get all the jelly babies and kind of, but he likes the fact that I like this kind of get it done in a day kind of work ethic. It kind of focuses. It's just a nice feeling to get up in the morning and by the time you finished, there's another song that didn't exist. And, you know, and if you're, um, if you're as like-minded as him and I, it's it's, it's hopefully never going to be too terrible a song. And we we co-wrote three songs on the Frost record, and it was a good experience for both of us, you know. Yeah, well, that album was was amazing too, uh, as well, and it was good to have the band back after after such a long time time away. So, um, you know, I listen. I you know, you threw in a lot of you know scales and notes and 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 things like that. And I mean, are you? Uh, I'm assuming you're officially trained in in music, or do you? Do you write down notes when you're writing and, and recording? Do you talk like that, or is it just by feel? No, I mean I did music. I did music A level when I was at school, so you kind of have to be able to sight read and, and and notate, obviously. But that's a perishable skill. I mean, I I, I forget, you know, I forget lots of things on a daily basis, and you know, <laughs> like I say, you know, if you haven't done if you haven't done it um, for, for, I mean, I when was the last time I, I actually had to sight read? Probably, I don't know, um, twenty five years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, no. The other day, I got thrust into a studio in London and um, with a couple of guys called Lawrence Cole and Richard Cole, who was like very famous session musicians in this country. And you know, back in the eighties, they played on everybody's record, you know. But they're kind of old school, so everything's charts and everything's, you know. Um, you know, uh, reading stuff off staves and stuff. And I, I said to Simon Hanhart, who's a, a producer friend of mine, who was producing the session, um, I said to him, um, it's a guy, actually it's for an album for a guy called uh, Phil Lanzen, who's in Uriah Heat. He's doing a solo record. And uh, Simon got me in to play guitar and sing. 
So, uh, you know, I turn up at the studio in North London with my guitar and I've kind of learned the songs in my own special. I have my own weird way of writing music down, which involves drawing little pictures of triangles and squares and things, you know, and it doesn't make any sense to anybody else. <laughs> but that's just the way my mind operates. But you know what? Within five minutes, <laughs> um, Mr. Richard Cottle had uh, started chucking uh, charts, musical charts down in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I said to him, look, I can't read music, which was a lie. I can read music, but I don't want to read music because <laughs> I'm not very funny. And it was just like a crash course in, in remembering something that you did very long time ago. And so I kind of I, I was forced. My hand was forced, but it was kind of a, it was kind of an exciting thing to do and to happen. But it's not something I expected to happen. And no, I don't write stuff down. I kind of play by ear. Yeah. I, if I've got a musical idea, I kind of sing into a, into my voice memo thing, my iPhone. Or uh, it's kind of you know just like anybody else does, really. But I do have that. You know, I do have that ability to do it. If it came, push came to shove, but you know, nobody does that anymore, apart from old school guys, I guess. You know. Are there uh, shows planned for for uh, the Lonely Robot uh, coming up? Are you working on that? Yeah, we've got um, we're doing a launch gig in Reading, which is my hometown. We're doing that on the twenty uh, seventh, which is the day before it's released over here. And then on the twenty eighth, um, I'm doing a gig with Lonely Robots supporting Marillion in Leicester at their convention. And then I'm doing a, a giant charity event on the twenty seventh of May in Leamington Spa in England, which is called Trinity Festival, which I've done before with a different band, and that was that's always a good. It's nice to catch up with lots of friends. And there are shows planned later in the year, but because I've kind of I've signed a contract to do Trinity, I you know we can't announce them just yet, you know. Otherwise, it'll sort of dilute the interest in Trinity. So yeah, there's stuff planned. I can't say I necessarily enjoy playing live as much as I used to. So you know, it's <laughs> it's more because I more because I can't say no when people keep asking me. So yeah. yeah. Well, at least people keep asking you, right? So that's that's the good part. Um, that's it's nice to be loved, but yeah. you know. <laughs> I wanted to just uh, quickly ask you, I know you were friends with John Wetton and, and uh, you know, he was supposed to have been on the cruise with us and, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away just, just a few weeks before. I know you also played with him. So I don't know if you wanted to maybe share a story about, you know, working with John or knowing John and, and what he was like. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know, to me, there was, you know, the, it's it's no great secret that, you know, John struggled with alcoholism throughout his life. Um, and when I first started playing for him in 1999, I think that was like the height of that, you know. So, that you know, there, there were two John Wentz as far as I, you know, I, I'd only remember that John Wentz. That John Wentz was a long time ago because he was, by the time of death, he was about 12 years sober. Um, I, but I do remember the first time I played guitar for I remember two things, actually. The first time I played guitar for him uh live was in mexico city uh and john hated rehearsing um absolutely hated it you know he just he you know these are songs that he'd been playing for like 20 years so the last thing he wanted to do was to play them uh you know just for the benefit of somebody else <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can honestly tell you hand on heart the first time i ever played live any of those songs like these complicated king crimson songs or you know dead of night by uk was was during the sound check in mexico city I haven't played a note with his band, you know, and he goes to me, um, uh, Johnny, uh, uh, anything you want to play? I said, well, can, can we, can we play all of it? He goes, no, pick three. <laughs> <laughs> so that was terrifying. Um, and I remember the first time I was in the studio with him, you know, it was in Southampton and I'd been invited down there and I turned up and he goes, uh, 
He was it was like the way he, it was the first time I'd ever met him and I kind of knew I was going to you know I was going to get on with him and we were going to be very close friends um was within about 5 minutes you know just because we just we were you know we just very like minded you know and he was a very kind of gentle kind soul and he said to me uh I hope you don't mind uh you know throughout the course of the day we've we've got various musicians coming and going who are who are going to play on this album of mine you know I've just scheduled a few other people to come down so I said, no, that's fine. You know, he goes, well, you know, just, you know, you'll be here all day and we'll kind of, we'll weave in and out of doing guitars whilst other people come and go. And I said, yeah, that's fine, John, no problem. So I'm sat there and I do some guitars and then all of a sudden through the door comes Steve Hackett. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, Steve Hackett, strangely enough, not a lot of people know this, but his first instrument is is, is harmonica. So uh, he kind of, uh, he puts down harmonica on this song that John had co-written with um, uh, Ringo Starr. And uh, so he's a brilliant harmonica player, and he puts this, uh, he does it in about two takes, just knocks it out of the bag. And then uh, he kind of sits, you know, he kind of finishes and he goes, and he goes, is that, is that okay? Is that okay? Are we happy with that? And, and, and John's like, that's perfect. He goes, and then the producer says to John, so, um, you know, what do you want to do now? Uh, he goes, well, Steve, why don't you stick around for a while? Just take a seat there next to Johnny, you know? And uh, so he comes, Steve, and sat down about two feet away from me. And Rob goes, what, what are we going to do now? And he goes, let's do some guitar solos. <laughs> First time I played guitar in the studio with John Wetton, I got Steve Hackett sat about two feet from me. I'm like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> this is terrifying enough as it is, you know. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, towards the end of, you know, our time together, you know, before he died, you know, I was kind of, the thing that, I'm, that warms my heart the most is, you know, like when he got sober, I mean, John was an extremely, extremely bright person, you know, very intelligent. And he kind of didn't suffer fools at all. I mean, nobody, and you say nobody suffers fools gladly. Nobody jumps up and down and goes, oh, give me some fools. I want to suffer them, you know, obviously. Right. But some people are less tolerant of bullshit. And John was, you know, absolutely would not stand for any bullshit. And he kind of, you know, I was, I was very proud of the fact that a lot of people, when he got sober, he kind of he had a, a sense of clarity about people that had perhaps been taking advantage of, 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 of his, you know, his illness. And he recognised, you know, my dad died when I was when he was twelve. Sorry, when I was twelve, my dad died, and he recognised that, you know, I was I was very tolerant towards people with with that condition, and and you know, a lot of people got chucked in the bin of friendship. You know, a lot of people yeah. kind of, you know, and and he kind of well, everybody that you know, some people just you know, he just didn't want to associate. You know, maybe he made a lot of mistakes with a lot of people, and he kind of felt bad and couldn't face a lot of things. But then you know, he did the twelve step program and. Then he, he made a point of going and making amends with everybody, you know, that, that he'd kind of pissed off because perhaps because of his alcoholism. Um, and, I, you know, I was just, I'm very, I'm, it's always, you know, films me with great warmth that, you know, he, I was one of the people, one of the few people that, you know, he stayed close to and we just became closer and close, closer friends. And he was just a very different guy when he wasn't drinking, as as everybody is. You know, it, it's, a, it's a mood, you know, it's a mood exaggerator. And... Rightly or wrongly, if you're in a good mood, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, John, when he was drinking, he could be an absolute arsehole. You know, he could like snap at the click of a finger. But you know what? That wasn't him. You know, that was the drink. And, um, you know, he, he I remember he drove up to Reading once to see me after he got sober. And he said, you know, I must have put you through fucking hell. I'm like, well, yeah, at times. But, you know, I know I know what it's all about. And and then, you know, there were times when I didn't play guitar for him because I was busy doing it bites. And I think he had Dave Kilminster back in the band again. And I, it didn't really matter to me. All that really mattered to me was, you know, we were friends and we, our friendship was the most important thing. I think 
you know, I, it just sort of came full circle in the end because I kind of I went off to Japan with him. The last time he kind of played solo as the John Wetton band was was when we went to Japan, and he kind of got Martin Alford back in the band, and it was me and Martin Alford and Steve Alexander on drums, and it was just I, that's a very happy memory for me that you know we'd kind of you know we'd kind of come full circle and it was just a different John. You know, I'm just yeah. I'm I'm proud that you know I'm I'm. I'm proud to have called him a friend. You know, he was a he was a lovely, lovely man. Well, thanks for sharing that, man. That's really nice. And and yeah, I mean, his his music certainly touched uh, and reached a, a lot of people. A great, great, great musician and great artist, and and I guess a, a great person. Um, yeah, when you sold twenty million records, he's about the most down to earth person you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, well, John, thanks a lot, man. This was really great. Uh, finally, getting to officially speak with you, and um, uh, wish you success on the album. Great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much. You too, buddy. All right, buddy. Yeah, see you later, mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks to John for the interview. We're going to close with the latest single from The Big Dream. This is Sigma. For more upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks.